Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Adding on Potential, Improving Treatment of Pulmonary Arterial Hypertension with Novel Add-on Therapies. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported through an independent educational grant from Merck and Company Incorporated, Rahway, New Jersey, USA. Hello, I'm Dr. Valerie McLaughlin, Director of the Pulmonary Hypertension Program at the University of Michigan. Welcome to this program, Adding on Potential, Improving Treatment of Pulmonary Arterial Hypertension with Novel Add-on Therapies. In this session, let's review the guideline-recommended treatment sequencing and why there's a need for therapies with a novel mechanism of action. So we've had three pathways as our current targets for a number of years, the endothelin pathway, the nitric oxide pathway, and the prostacyclin pathway. And there've been over a dozen therapies developed that target these pathways. And we're very thankful for those therapies. Many patients have improved with them. However, we still lose far too many patients to this disease. And despite these therapies, there's a need for more agents of novel pathways to help improve pulmonary vascular remodeling and patient outcomes. This slide demonstrates the current treatment algorithm from the 2022 ERS-ESC guidelines. It starts with initial therapy based on the patient's risk status, but a very important part of the algorithm is reassessing the risk on therapy and then escalating therapy with the goal of getting to low-risk status. And no matter where a patient starts, if they improve to low-risk status, their prognosis is better than if they stay at intermediate or high risk. And we know this from many different observations, including some data here from the French registry. So look at those curves. Even though we have therapies we need more therapies that attack this disease via a different mechanism. And there's an agent that's recently been studied, Cetatercept, that is a first-in-class fusion protein that targets a new pathway. It acts as an active and signaling inhibitor. And the goal here is to rebalance the growth-inhibiting and pro-apoptotic signaling. And this drug is currently under FDA review. There's also another drug with a novel mechanism of action, serolutinib, which is a selective kinase inhibitor that is delivered via a dry powder inhaler and is also currently being studied in clinical trials to assess its effect as add-on therapy in patients with pulmonary arterial hypertension. In the next session, Let's review the latest data on emerging novel add-on therapies that have shown benefits in patients with PAH. Welcome to this session on examining the efficacy of emerging novel add-on therapies for PAH. First, let's review some data on Cetatercept. Cetatercept has been studied in the Phase 3 Stellar study, which was a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled study of Cetatercept in addition to standard therapy in patients with pulmonary arterial hypertension. The primary endpoint of this study, as it is typical in many PAH studies, was six-minute hall walk. 
And as you can see on this slide, the six-minute hall walk improved by about 40 meters in patients on active therapy with satatercept, and it was relatively unchanged in patients taking placebo. But one of the things that I think is most remarkable about the Stellar study is that there were nine secondary endpoints, and the first eight were hit. The secondary endpoint, the first secondary endpoint, was multi-component improvement. And this was demonstrated by having an improvement in three components, hall walk, biomarkers, and functional class. And a higher proportion of patients in the active therapy group hit that. There were also a number of secondary endpoints looking at hemodynamics, biomarkers, functional class, and the very important, really meaningful endpoint of time to clinical worsening was also hit in the Satatercept studies. There was more recently a paper published looking at some of the hemodynamic and echo parameters that were measured in the Stellar study, and there were many important improvements there. In terms of hemodynamics, this drug works primarily by lowering mean pulmonary artery pressure, about a 14 millimeter reduction in mean pulmonary artery pressure in the active therapy group. There were also improvements in PA compliance, RV work, and mean right atrial pressure. There was an improvement in NT-proBNP, and there were improvement in a number of echo parameters, including the ratio of TAPSI over systolic pulmonary artery pressure. So some very meaningful echo and hemodynamic data has been derived from the Stellar study as well. Recently, the phase two study of serolutinib has been presented in abstract form, and this hit its primary endpoint of pulmonary vascular resistance, and that improvement in pulmonary vascular resistance was more substantial in the sicker patients, in the functional class three patients. In the next session, let's take a look at the safety data on these emerging novel therapies. In this next session, we're going to look at the safety of emerging novel add-on therapies for PAH. Let's start with the safety data on Cetatercept. We can see here that about 41% of the patients on Cetatercept had AEs and about 25% on a placebo. But there were less discontinuations in Cetatercept than placebo and more deaths in the placebo group. The serious AEs were the same in both groups. The AEs that were more common and reported in greater than 10% of either group were headache, COVID, some GI symptoms, nausea, diarrhea, fatigue. If we go into these AEs of special interest, we see some that are expected. So the increase in hemoglobin, which generally is modest and happens at the beginning, was noted in a higher proportion of cetatercept patients. Thrombocytopenia was also noted in a higher proportion of cetatercept patients. There were more bleeding events, which were generally mild or moderate in the cetatercept group. A little bit higher blood pressure noted in the cetatercept group. And of course, the telangiectasias, which have emerged as an AE of special interest. Now, there's a long-term extension after the placebo control trial. This is primarily to gather safety data. Notably, there's now a 23% rate of telangiectasias in the extension trial. As of this report, that none were serious, 
and 12% who developed this AE during a prior trial. And there have been a couple of dose holds and dose reductions due to telangiectasias. So it's really important to keep the eye on telangiectasias. And, and of course, in the clinical trial, we just see the skin, but it's important to be aware that telangiectasias could potentially form anywhere based on the mechanism of action of that drug. And we'll continue to learn about that as we have more experience with the Tatarcept. This is the safety data that was presented on the TORI study. So again, a large proportion of patients have adverse effects. There were more study discontinuations in the serolutinib group, more SAEs. Of course, because this is an inhaled agent and inhaled placebo, there was a high proportion of cough. In the next session, let's take a look at patients who may benefit from these emerging agents as they become available. So in our next session, let's take a look at some of the patients who might be eligible for these therapies, and let's start with cetatercept. So this demonstrates the background characteristics of the patients enrolled in the phase three trial. And I think it's important to remember that all of our novel therapies, they're being studied in patients who are currently being treated with standard of care therapy. It was a little bit younger than many of our other trials, so an average age around 48, an eight to nine year time since diagnosis of pulmonary arterial hypertension. As we commonly see, they were mostly idiopathic. They were primarily functional class two and three patients and highly pretreated. About 40% of them were on prostacycline infusion therapy and about 60% of patients were on triple therapy. So I think this reflects the patient population that we see today. If and when it becomes commercially available, we need to think about this drug in patients who are already on background therapy and still have room to improve. In the TORI trial, similarly, it was a prevalent population with a long duration of disease, a mean age of about 48 to 49, about eight years since diagnosis. Nearly half of the patients were idiopathic, almost all functional class two and three patients. Over half of the patients were on three background therapies. And again, over 40% were on parenteral therapies. So a highly pretreated population. And as we think about these agents, if they get approved, we also need to think about the reality of care. So, so Tatarcept is a subcutaneous injection that is given every 21 days, and serolutinib is inhaled twice daily. And these patients are on many therapies already, so we need to think about the medication burden, the cost of these therapies, and the side effects. We need to balance symptoms of disease with side effects of the medication. And we also need to consider short-term benefits and long-term benefits. The short-term benefits really are the patient feeling better, but some of our long-term benefits are improving risk status so that patients live longer and do better over time. So there will be a lot of crucial conversations and shared decision-making that we'll have to have with patients as these therapies become available. In the next session, let's review some practical considerations that should be taken into account to optimize outcomes for patients with PAH. Let's review why it's important to have a multidisciplinary approach for the management of patients with PAH. It certainly is a complex disease 
This slide is from the ESC ERS guidelines, and it really highlights the different roles of providers in the core team and the extended team. Usually this is managed by a cardiologist or pulmonologist, but I can't emphasize the importance of having nurse coordinators as well as nurse practitioners who really help us manage the patients. In many cases, social workers and care managers are required. Uh, research coordinators, a study nurse data manager, are required for some of the trials that we do. And of course, cardiac surgeons are required when we think about things like pulmonary endarterectomy or transplant or ECMO. And we certainly do a lot of work with our interventional radiologists and cardiologists. And of course, that care team may get extended depending on underlying diagnoses. For example, I have many patients with scleroderma and rheumatologists are really critical in their care. Our genetic counselors are important as we see new patients with IPAH or heritable PAH. Many women of childbearing potential need to see a gynecologist. Sometimes we need to refer patients to lung transplant or palliative care. And I think it's important to really continuously reassess the patient. I describe our patients as living on the edge of cliffs. You know, even when you think they're doing well, it doesn't take much to tip them over. This slide from the ESC ERS guidelines gives some guidance on the various testing that needs to be repeated over time. Even once we have these patients on therapy, we're generally still seeing them every three to six months, even if we think they're stable. And certainly if they have an episode of clinical worsening, that's a very poor prognosis and they need to be reevaluated at that point in time. It's very exciting to have new therapies for pulmonary arterial hypertension. We've improved how our patients do with the many therapies that target those three pathways, the prostacycline pathway, the nitric oxide pathway, and the endothelin pathway. But despite that, we still lose far too many patients to this disease. Therapies with novel mechanisms of action are currently undergoing clinical trials, including two new agents that we've discussed in some detail, cetatercept and serolutinib. And we have nice data that demonstrates the efficacies of these therapies. And of course, as we treat our patients, we need to balance symptoms of disease and side effects of medications and really take a multidisciplinary team approach to improving the outcomes for our patients. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.